about being in a church family is that, uh, you know, God's given all of us different gifts, and um, he talks to each one of us, you know, if we're listening. And so last Sunday, we taught on a Scary Deep Community. That was the title of the message from Philippians chapter 2. We've been studying in this little book, so if you want to turn there, we'll be there in a second, Philippians, the book of Philippians. But as it turns out, uh, Philippians chapter 2 happens to be Jen McCoy's favorite passage of the whole Bible. So after the celebration last Sunday, she walks up to me and she shows me her Bible. She's got all these cool notes in there. I was like, I wish I'd have had that when I was preparing the sermon. They were good. So I thought just in uh, follow-up to it, you know, because sometimes, man, God's got good stuff. So Jen, come on up. I, I just wanted to give Jen just a minute because there was one really cool insight that she had there on that. The one verse in Philippians chapter 2 about looking out for the interests of others before your own interests. And uh, I just thought that was so neat. And rather than me tell it to you, it's better to come right from her. So this is Jen. Told me I had three minutes. Two. You have two now. Thank you. I'll have five. <laughs> so Philippians 2 is very meaningful. I don't know if it's my favorite in the whole Bible, but top three. Uh, because God used this verse a couple years ago uh, to convict me deeply. A couple years ago, I led women's ministry here at New River. It was a very busy time in my family life. My youngest of four was a newborn. I think I was pregnant during that time as well. And honestly, I was feeling very unfulfilled and unappreciated, as many moms do feel when they're raising young children. Um, and leading and teaching made me feel like I had a purpose. And it felt good when people appreciated what I did publicly, because most of motherhood is done in secret, where nobody sees. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, there's definite joy that comes out of serving the Lord, but we should serve God for his glory and for the good of people, not to meet unmet needs within ourselves. So as I studied this passage in depth, repented of my sin, I stepped down from leading women's ministry, I was honestly confused by the next part of the verse. Because the next part says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And Doug addressed this last week. Consider others better than yourselves. So was I supposed to walk around with some weird self-esteem issues? Oh, well, she's better than me, and he's better than me. Like some weird Christian doormat that thinks nothing of herself because the Bible tells me to? No. I don't believe so. You're no better than me, and I'm no better than you. We are all God's image bearers. We're equal, and we're precious in his sight. So that's not the proper application here. So I tore apart the Greek it's fun and it makes sense of the language and what I found was this the verse can be translated another way put another's success above your own now doesn't that read differently put another's success above your own and this made a lot of sense to me see God isn't saying that others are more important to me or better than me he's telling us to work for the success of others above the pursuit of my own success and even though that makes more sense, it's still a tough passage. For me, it mostly plays out in my family life. It's my job to work for my husband Todd's success, to support his work, his ministry, his personal life, and to put it ahead of my own. For my children, putting their needs and desires above my own. 
and it plays out at work for me as well. Um, on the weekends, I wait tables at the mill on the river, and we're supposed to help each other. Our manager is always talking about teamwork, teamwork, but often it doesn't play out that way because if I help my, ser my fellow servers, they might get ahead, they might get better tips, my tables might wait longer, I might get lesser tips. So it doesn't actually happen, unfortunately. Sometimes it does. Um, however, if I'm applying Philippians 2, I need to put their success above my own. And I need to do what both the Bible and my manager is asking me to do to help others put their success above my own. And I think that many of us can apply that in our work, to put the success of our coworkers above our own, even though that's difficult. So this month we're talking a lot about life groups. This verse can play out there as well. If we work for the success of others above our own in our life groups, think of what an amazing group that would be. It means that we listen before we speak. It means we give up our time to make that extra phone call or send that extra text even though we're tired after a long day. It means we give up our Saturday to help someone move or have someone over for dessert on an off night even though we'd rather go to bed than stay up late talking. Perhaps I'm just talking about myself. It means we promote another success above our own. And if you're anything like me, perhaps you're thinking, what about me? What about my success? What about my needs? Well, first, if I'm working hard for your success and you're working hard for my success, then we both succeed and we have great joy. But we all know it doesn't work that way all the time. My kids may love me, but they still aren't likely to say, mom, you look tired. Why don't you go take a nap? Instead, they say, I'm hungry. Play with me. Where are we going today? <laughs> to answer that, God gives us the example of Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Jesus worked for our success. Jesus didn't use his godness to his own advantage. Jesus made himself a servant. Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. You see in this verses, in the next couple verses, but what God did for Jesus so Jesus humbled himself, but God exalted Jesus to the highest place. Every knee will bow to Jesus, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. See, we have to trust God for our success. And it may not be success as the world defines it, wealth, beauty, public recognition for good deeds, but God cares for us enough to give us his precious only son. God will take care of us. He promised us that. God will work for our success. God will give us meaning, purpose, hope, a good future. He promises this. He will provide love and affection. He will provide for our financial needs. God will help us to see our unique value and our beauty in his eyes. So let's work for the success of others and trust God for our own success in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our life groups. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Seven minutes. That's perfect. perfect. I just really thought that was a great uh, capstone to the teaching from last Sunday, just that we look out for one another's success above our own success. And when we play it that way, boy, everybody benefits, you know. So this morning, we're going to continue that uh, thought, really, in terms of by talking about uh, who do I allow to have influence in my life. You can't always choose who leads you, but you can choose who you will follow kids, you're going back to school in a couple of weeks, you know, you didn't choose your teacher. You, 
the teacher was chosen for you, but you can choose who you will follow. Sometimes you can't choose your boss always, but you can choose who you'll follow. You can choose who's going to have influence in your life. And the, and the truth is there's a, lot of, there's a lot of influences in our world. There's a lot of things that want to influence you and me. So how do I choose the right influence in my life? And I find in the church in particular, there's two extremes that seek to have influence on our uh, Christian walk, okay? On one hand, there's uh, legalism. And on the other hand, there's license. They're both opposites of one another. In, in legalism, it says this, that in order for you to really be a good Christian, then you better, you know, carry the right version of the Bible and cut your hair the right way and sing the right songs and go to church X number of times. And, you know, there's all of these rules that define what it is to be a, quote, good Christian, right? And then on the opposite end of that is license that says, hey, you're under grace. You've been set free by Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. They throw out verses like that. So, you know, feel free to drink, cuss, smoke, chew, watch whatever you want to watch, do whatever you want to do, because you're free. That's the rationale there. Both of those are extremes, and both of those seek to have influence in your life. Neither one of those lead you to where you need to go. They're both distractions. They're both lies. Follow it? So who do I? But yet those have strong influence in our lives. I believe they have a strong influence in our lives because they're easy. The legalism, legalism is really easy. All I have to do is just follow your rules and do what you tell me to do, and I'm going to be okay. That's the way it goes. So I can, I can kind of have a certain level of comfort there if I've dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's and done it the way that I'm supposed to do it. Hey, I guess I'm good. It's easy. It doesn't require a lot of thinking. License doesn't require a lot of thinking either. It's just go for whatever feels good in essence. I mean, you're just following what looks good, feels good. That's pretty easy. The proper influence as we're going to see in a moment, is much more difficult, but a lot more fulfilling. The Apostle Paul, we've called this series The Jailhouse Pastor because Paul's writing these letters from prison. And I can imagine the frustration that Paul would have felt as, you know, he has poured his life into these churches. The guy has literally bled to start these churches, right? And now he's in prison. And he, and he hears reports. He's, uh, he's constantly getting reports of what's happening in Corinth, then Ephesus, you know, all these different churches where he's been. And Philippians is, Philippi, the city of Philippi, is no different. He gets the report. We've heard, we've been saying before, Philippians is a thank you letter. The Philippian church sent Paul a nice care package while he was in jail through this man named Epaphroditus. So Paul pens a thank you note to send it back to his Philippian friends. But as he does, Paul obviously hears what's happening. He knows the, the conflicts, the stresses that are on his Christian friends in this city. And these two influences, legalism and license, were very prevalent in the Philippian church. They were pressuring these Christians. And we're going to see it as we read through it. I'm going to break one of the rules of preaching and uh, preach 
and, and use a very long passage of scripture. So I hope at the expense of your attention that you'd be able to stick with me as we go from Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, all the way to Philippians 4, verse 1. One of the reasons why I like to preach like this through a book is because it keeps you honest. I mean, I love preaching on topics. I don't mind that. I have no problem with picking a topic and going for it. But sometimes, you know, for a good spiritual healthy diet, you need to just start in verse 1 and work your way through. And when you do, you have to be true to the text. And so, well, we have a long text this morning. So buckle up. Chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also might be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. There's the clue. Remember, we've been talking about Epaphroditus. That's how we know he was the guy that delivered the care package. Paul mentions him. For he longs for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you might be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give him. So right off the bat, we meet Timothy and Epaphroditus, and Paul makes it pretty clear. Honor guys like that. These are guys you want to be looking to. These kind of guys. We're going to get into it in a minute. Let's keep reading. Chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, the little word further tells you the thought is continuing, so we can't let the chapter break us up. We've got to keep going. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, we've talked about these guys before in our other letters we've looked at. They were called Judaizers. These were the guys that believed that in order for you to be a real Christian, you needed to be Jewish first. You need to follow all the Jewish rules. These guys fit on the legalistic side of this scale. And Paul calls them dogs, mutilators of the flesh, evildoers, not very nice things, okay? For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. To put confidence in the flesh, friends, that's the problem with legalism. Is it, is, it says, is it says, you know, I'm a good Christian because I read my Bible and pray every day, right? I go to, I, I have a perfect attendance record at Sunday school, therefore I am a good Christian. It's, that's putting confidence in the flesh, right? 
I put X dollars in the plate. I am a good, I've done missions. I'm a pastor. I'm a, you fill in the blank. It's putting confidence in the flesh. And Paul goes, yeah, we don't do that. That's, that is dangerous for your faith. To base your faith, to base the success, if you will, of your faith on anything other than the promise of Jesus. Jesus promised me that if I place my faith in him, that he would forgive me of my sins and he would save me. Period. That's where I rest it. I don't rest it on all of my accomplishments. You hear the difference? And so he goes on. He goes, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here goes Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul's like, you want to go toe-to-toe on how good you are? <laughs> Let's do it, baby. Right? And Paul takes off the gloves, and he's like, look at my list of credentials. And you know what Paul thinks about all those credentials? But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That means nothing. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. The Greek word there that he uses, that the, the translators, they uh, make it nice because it's not a nice word. Paul says, I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, not on all the good things I did, but on my faith in Jesus. I want to know Christ. Do you hear his heart? I think Paul starts to bleed here a little. I just want to know Jesus. I want to know, I want to know the resurrection. I want to know the participation in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death so that I can become like him in his resurrection. I just want to know Jesus in every part. I want to go all the way. I want to go all the way to the cross, to death, to resurrection, to the power. I want to go all the way with Jesus. That's his heart. Paul's like, I don't want to just be a fair weather friend of Jesus, man. I want to I want to squeeze everything out of this. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I'm going for it, people. I'm going for it. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, well, that too God will make clear to you. Only just let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I believe that verse 17 is the central uh, thought in this whole text. Paul's, 
Paul's urging them to follow his example and the example of others who live as he does, like Timothy and Epaphroditus, for example. He goes, follow this example, not these dogs that we talked about. And he goes on, for as I have often told you before, and I now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. That's a reference to those who lived in license. So on one hand, we have the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh, these guys that are, you know, pushing all these rules. On the other hand, we have guys, Paul says, whose God is their stomach. What that means is, you know, here's, this looks like fun. You know, drink that, smoke that, chew that, do that. Looks like a great time. Let's do it. What's he, well, that's my urge. I'm just following my urge is what that really is. But see, the deadly part of living in license is that I can find Bible verses to support my bad behavior and justify it all the while. And so Paul goes, their God is really their stomach, not God. And their destiny is destruction. And their enemies of the cross of Christ and their glory is in their shame. They actually brag about their freedom and their license and how they can do what they want to do because they're not under condemnation. Their glory is in their shame, he says. You hear the difference? You hear it? Paul goes, man, and you see what he's doing? With tears, I'm, I told, I'm telling you again, with tears, stay away from that. And stay away from that, he says. He goes, our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, that's why you got to keep going, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. And that's why we needed to read verse 1. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. In what way? Well, in the way that we just read about. So that's why we've got to take that whole package. So do you see the thrust of what he's doing? On one hand, Paul introduces us. He begins by introducing us to Timothy and Epaphroditus. Well, he's not introducing the Philippians. They already knew them, but you and I didn't really know them too well. So he, he begins with Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he goes, honor guys like this. These are guys that you want to honor because they have, they're giving it all. They're leaving it all on the field. These are the, these are the heroes, the real heroes. And then he says, first, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for these guys that are living in legalism. They just want to trap you in all the rules and religion. Watch out for that. And then he goes on to share his own perspective, who he is, what, what drives him as a man. And then he comes near the end and he goes, and these other guys, I'm weeping over this. God, I've told you before, I've warned you before, their God is their stomach. Stay away from license. That's not helping you either. And he gives us what I can see, six different, and I'm just going to fly through them quickly because our time is short, but six different uh, characteristics of the kind of person under whose influence you would want to sit. Because now the question remains, well, God, okay, if it's not legalism, if it's not license, well, then what? And the first one would be this. It's found in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. 
someone who's concerned for your well-being, he refers to Timothy as that. Timothy was a man concerned for your well-being, and then he defines what that is. He's looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. That's verse 21. So to be concerned for your well-being means I'm concerned about the interests of Jesus Christ at work in your life. I, I want to draw out of you what Jesus is doing in you. That's genuinely being concerned for someone else's well-being. I want you to experience everything that Jesus died to give you. Jesus promised to give you abundant life. Can I help you find that? That's looking out for someone else's well-being. You follow that? I don't want one drop of Jesus' blood to go to waste in your life or mine. I want you to enjoy everything in your inheritance that Jesus died to give to you. That's the kind of person that you would want to uh, have influence you. That person who's really looking out for the interests of Jesus in your life. Second quality is someone who's a fellow soldier. Chapter 2, verse 25, he talks about Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus, he says, he uses three terms. He's my brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier. There's a progression in those terms. Brother is someone that you know, I can enjoy camaraderie with. We're, we share the same family. We have a lot in common together. We love each other. We're brothers. Coworker is someone that I share a mission with. Somebody, we, we're working on the same task. We're heading to the same goal. And, you know, we're locking arms and we're making it happen. A fellow soldier, that's somebody that takes a bullet for me. That's somebody who climbs down into the foxhole. We're fighting alongside of one another, and uh, that's a little bit deeper. And Paul says Epaphroditus, he's that kind of guy. He's not just a brother, not just a co-worker. He's a fellow soldier. The kind of person that you would want to have influence in your life is the kind of person that would take a bullet for you. That, that kind of person like Epaphroditus who lays it all on the line for the sake of Jesus Christ, risks his very life for the sake of Jesus Christ takes the bullet, right? That's somebody I can trust to have influence in my life. Who else? What else? Number three, chapter three, verses eight to ten. Paul says, you know, I consider all loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want someone who has intimacy with Jesus. I don't want just some nice church person to have influence in my it doesn't matter how thick your Bible is or how many Bible verses you have memorized, how many seminars you've been to, and how many conferences you've attended. I want somebody that has an intimacy with Jesus. That's the kind of person that I would want to have influence in my life, right? I've told my kids from the very time that they were babies that, you know, someday, obviously, they're going to grow up and get married. And I tell them, look, at, you don't, I don't want you to bring me somebody you met in church. That means nothing to me. I want you to bring me somebody who can look you in the eye and say to you, I could never love you as much as I love Jesus. That's the person. That's the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. The person that says, you know what, I love you. You're great and all that. But if I got to choose between you and Jesus, I'm taking Jesus or hitting the road. It's all because it's Jesus. I'm selling out for Jesus. I don't just want a nice, you know, church person with a big, thick Bible. Man, passionately devoted, sold out, cashed it in for Jesus Christ. Paul says that's who he was. 
I consider it all a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. You get this impression from Paul, like, as much as he loved the Philippians and he loved the work that was going on there, for Paul, it was all about Jesus. Jesus died all the way. That's the kind of person that I want to have influence in my life. And I can look back in my life, and maybe you can too, at different men and women. They're not always the people that hold leadership positions. They're not always the people that are in the spotlight. But man, there have been different men and women through the course of my life who were absolutely sold out to Jesus and had profound influence in shaping who I am today. That's who you want. Fourth, you want someone who's humble. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. I love the Apostle Paul, his humility, saying, you know, I, I haven't attained it yet. I'm thinking if there's ever anybody that could claim to have been there, it would have been Paul. And the guy, I think, is pretty up there. And yet he goes, I haven't gotten there quite. I, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm pushing towards it, but I'm not there yet. There's, there's a humility in Paul. And you actually can see that in his life, in his early writings, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And then you come to the letter of Timothy, the, I think it's the second letter of Timothy, which is probably the, his very last letter that he wrote before he died. And Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. I mean, from the least of the apostles to the worst of sinners. You see this progression in the regression, if you will, of his life, you know. He gets more and more humble the closer he walks with Jesus. The, the, the closer he walks with Jesus, the more he realizes the further he's got to go. Man, that's the kind of person. You don't want to someone to have influence in your life who pretends like, you know, they've arrived and, uh, you know, they're the best thing you know, going and Jesus is just so grateful to have them on his team. You know, that's not the kind of person that you want to have influence in your life. And then the next one, verse chapter number five, you want someone who's in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Friends, that's an active pursuit. That's not a lazy pursuit. That's not a, um, you know, I show up whenever I get the chance. I squeeze in Jesus in between soccer practice and this and that. This is a, this is a Jesus is my absolute top priority, and I'm pressing in to experience him, to taste him, to be with him. So it's worship, I'm there. It's prayer, I'm there. It's study, I'm there. It's fellowship, I'm there. Boom, I'm there because I want desperately to know Jesus more. See what I mean? Boy, that's the kind of person that you want to have influence in your life. That's the kind of person you can say, I could follow that person, that man, that woman. They're hungry for more of Jesus. They don't think they've arrived, but man, do they want him. That's the kind of person I can follow. And then lastly, the sixth characteristic is simply a person who lives what they know. Chapter 3, verse 17, I think it is, 16. He says, only let us live up to what we've already attained. In other words, here's what I know and here's what I'm living. You know, I know that uh, tithing is, is a principle that God wants me to live out, so I'm doing it. I know that prayer is essential to a healthy Christian life, so I'm doing it. I know that, you know, a person who, who lives what they know. One of the scariest Bible verses to me in all of the Bible is in James.
chapter 1. It says anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So you're like, ooh, I know a lot of good that I'm not doing. That means I'm living in sin. So, oh, Lord, give me the strength that I would live up to what I've already attained. I want to walk in everything that you've revealed to me thus far and not shrink back from any of it. That's actually the key to growth, friends. Part of the reason why many people stagnate in their relationship with Jesus is because, because why would he show you anything new if you're not living up to all the stuff he's already shown you? I mean, you got to start living up to what he's shown and what he's revealed. And then he's like, hey, okay, let's give you some more. There's always a fresh challenge, right? But so many of us have this gap between what we know and what we are and what we live that, well, you got to meet that gap, man, before there's more. Anyway, that wasn't part of the notes. That's just an extra freebie. The point is this. You can't always choose who will lead you, but you can choose who you will follow. And he makes it very clear. On one hand, Paul says, watch out for those dogs. Watch out for these guys that will trap you in legalism. They're going to give you all the rules but they're not going to take you to Jesus. And you watch out for these guys. These guys here, they're going to trap you in the flesh. You're going to be partying so hard, you won't even know what hits you. You're going to miss Jesus. He goes, no, you want to follow these guys here that have, have a sense of humility. Guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus, and Paul says, guys like himself and others like him. You want to follow those kind of people. They've got a sense of humility. They're laying it all on the line for Jesus. They're risking it all for him. They're looking out for your best interest. They're, they really want God, God's best interest in your life, right? These are the kind of people. They're pursuing Jesus with everything they've got, and they say, why don't you come along with me? Let's go to Jesus together. That's the kind of person that you want to have influence in your life. The kind of person. I want to just... Uh, close with this. I guess really it's a simple challenge. And that's this. Who's influencing you? What kind of influences have you been buying into of late? And are they good? Are they helpful for you? I can tell you that in my years of 26 years of ministry, I've seen people fall off both ends of that spectrum. Both ends that have been in and out of our own ministry in the last many years that have just both ends. And it's just always baffled me that that would happen. When, when you can taste intimacy with Jesus, I don't know why you'd go to either one of those, but people do. So I'm asking you, are you permitting yourself to be influenced in some way that is not good for your soul? the same urgency that the Apostle Paul did to the Philippians. I beg you, watch out. I beg you, please, with tears, don't go down that path. And the second thing is this. You could be the kind of person who provides that influence. That's You don't have to be apostolic to be that kind of person. You know who, you know who Epaphroditus was? Yeah, me neither. Nobody does. He's just a guy. Right. You're all like, oh, what's the answer to that question? 
The answer is nobody knows. Epaphroditus was just a dude in the church, man. He wasn't, a, he, to our knowledge, he wasn't the pastor. He wasn't an apostle. You know, he's just a guy. I mean, we know Timothy was a pastor. And we know the apostle Paul. Well, he's the apostle Paul, but Epaphroditus. And yet Paul goes, that's the guy you want to honor. He's just, Epaphroditus is just some dude leading his family, loving Jesus, laying it all on the line. And Paul goes, honor guys like that. Be like that. Be like that. So I say to you, you might not feel like you could be much like the Apostle Paul, but you sure as heck can be just like Epaphroditus. Just a dude leading his family, loving his wife, working hard, laying it all on the line for Jesus, serving as an example for others to follow. You know, when you're putting together a puzzle, actually, guys, can you lead us in our closing song? Come, okay. When you're putting together a puzzle, I know that the worship team's just, they're so gripped by this message. They've just forgotten and lost sight of themselves. I know it. You're in the moment. I get it. It's great. I have the, it has the same effect on me, too. Anyway, I don't know where that came from, but okay. You know, when you're putting together a puzzle, uh, you need a good picture, right? You need the box. There's something about, have you ever tried to put together a puzzle without any picture to follow? You don't know where, I mean, it's, it's, it's next to impossible. I love the fact that God has placed people in the church who are like the picture on the puzzle box that say, this is what it looks like to be a man or a woman in a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Follow that. And he's given people like that in our own congregation, some great men and women that just are sold out like Epaphroditus was. And you can be that kind of person as well. You can be the picture on the box that others would look to and say, that's what it looks like to pursue Jesus. It's right there. I'm going to go after that. You know, that's part of a healthy community. Last week we're talking about deep community, right? But part of a healthy community is also having people who influence us and lead us well. And we've certainly been blessed as a congregation with men and women who are that great picture on the box for us to know what it looks like to be in a passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ. I urge you, friends, follow them. Let, let them influence you. Lord, I thank you for this word. Uh, you're so good today. I, Lord, I thank you for the men and the women that you've, play, you've placed in my life who show me what it looks like to go after Jesus with all my heart and soul and strength. And Lord, I, uh, I bless them today. I honor them today. Lord, I pray that I would be that man as well, that Jesus man, that other people would look at and be able to be a model for to follow. Lord, uh, I pray, would you guard us against those extremes, the extreme of legalism, the extreme of license. Guard us, Lord, against those extremes, I pray. I want nothing except to know you, Jesus, and to know you more. I ask this in your holy name.